Whew. Guys, I am lit from that worship time. <laughs> I can tell you are too, because in the front row here, even with the, the speakers and, and how, how, how loud our worship can be sometimes, I can hear you. And I can feel it. I can feel the Holy Spirit here today. Do you feel the Holy Spirit here today? Guys, Jesus purchased the victory for us. And some of us, some of you, some of us, we know it because we've seen the victory. And some of us are in the midst of a trial right now where we're looking for the victory. But the victory, guys, is assured. It's fact. Because God is real. And because our power is in Jesus. Amen? We're starting a new series this morning called Victorious, right? Guys, how good did Jenny Scott do last week? (laughs) Gosh, I just, I love that testimony of how God uses our scars as a testimony to his work in our lives because we all get scars, don't we? But we have the victory. Some of us who grew up in church remember hearing the gospel presented to us in a way to escape hardship and trials, right? I remember that. I remember when I was young and when I heard preachers preach, and sometimes I got this idea that like if if I had enough faith, I just would never face anything hard, right? Sometimes I would even feel the condemnation of I'm struggling right now. The circumstances in my life are tough. Where is God? There must be something wrong with me. Right? There's this gospel. It's all packaged up nice and clean. It says if you have enough faith, you won't face trials, guys. It is not biblical. And it is not true. I found that despite the sincerity of my faith, some of the most difficult trials I have faced in life have been since I've been a believer. Since I began to follow Jesus with all of my life. This is what Jenny talked about last week. You know, when I was a brand new Christian, you know, and I was getting to know Jesus and the victory in my life, I had a crush on the pastor's daughter. That didn't work out, right? God, (laughs) it didn't work. God didn't answer that prayer. I'm thankful now, by the way, BT dubs. But here's the question. If that's how the Christian life is, if we're going to continue to face trials after we give our lives to Christ, if we're going to maybe face worse trials after we give our lives to Christ, what is the difference between being a Christian and a non-Christian? Why, why surrender my life to do it Jesus' way rather than go on living life my own way? What's the difference? The answer to this question is found in the Bible, by the way. And today we're going to look into the life of Moses to see the victory in Moses' life and how that applies to you and I. How many of you have seen The Prince of Egypt? Yeah, like, you know, there's other movies about Moses, right? But The Prince of Egypt, that's the one I grew up watching when I was a kid. I'm going to walk us through the life of Moses just a little bit here in the beginning. And then we're going to, we're going to look and we're going to see how God worked in Moses' life and how that translates to how God works in our lives. So we're going to go through some points pretty quickly about what Moses' life was like. This is going to be, you know, like Prince of Egypt 2.0, okay? Or like Prince of Egypt beta edition. 
Let's look at Moses' life. The first thing I want us to notice about Moses' life is that it had a rough start. Moses had a rough start in life. How many of you know that the devil also has a plan for your life? How many of you know that the devil also starts early? I know that some of the things that affect my life today, the decisions I make today, the sins I struggle with today, are effects of things I experienced even as a child. And God wasn't behind those things. But the devil was, because the devil starts early. He's been around a long time. The devil doesn't know the future. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. But he's been around long enough to see potential. He's been around long enough to see what kind of thing God does in the lives of people. And oftentimes, he starts early to crush what he sees God might do. And he did that in Moses' life. So we remember the story about Joseph. Joseph, the coat of many colors, right? He was sold into slavery by his brothers. You can read about this in the book of Genesis. And, and he gets sold into Egypt, and eventually he becomes... Um, a slave to King Pharaoh um, in Egypt. And then through miraculous circumstances and potential that God works in Joseph's life, he actually becomes the second most important person in Egypt during a time of famine. And after Joseph's brothers find out that he is the second in charge in Egypt, all of Joseph's family moves to Egypt so that Joseph can look after them. And to make sure that they have food and they have what they need during this time of famine. But many years later, the Israelites just began to grow. Joseph's family, they began to grow in Egypt until they were a really large population. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh is like, he's like the king of Egypt. He's like a, the emperor of Egypt. But in Egypt, they also saw Pharaoh as a god, right? So he's, he's royal and he's god to, to the Egyptians in Egypt. And he looks around and he sees all these Israelites in Egypt and he goes, oh man, I might have a problem. Because he's also a politician, okay? All these Israelites, they could really cause me a problem if they decided to unite. And so Pharaoh put out an edict that every male Israelite child should be killed. He told the midwives, the Israelite midwives, when they were giving birth to children, if a boy came out to kill it, because he didn't want this population to grow anymore. Moses' mother, she didn't do it though. She hid him for three months. Till Moses was three months old, she's able to hide him in the house there where nobody knew that he was there so that he wouldn't be killed. But eventually she couldn't hide him anymore, right? And so what she did, and we don't get a lot of context for this, but she took Moses and she put him in a basket and she put him in the Nile River. And I, guys, I mean, it must have just been a step of faith. You know, she realized there's nothing more she could do to protect Moses, and she just must have been like, God, I'm putting him in your hands. Because I'm not going to let him just be killed. So she put him in, in the Nile River, and maybe even on purpose, <laughs> near the place where the royal family would visit, and where the royal family would bathe. And so as Moses is floating down the river, and his sister is watching the basket float down the river, um, Moses is discovered by one of Pharaoh's daughters. You know, and she's not her dad. 
You know, women in general tend to be a little more compassionate than the fellas. At least that's true in my family, right? My wife has more compassion than me. Well, she saw this Israelite child and she took, she took Moses in. So Moses was taken out, out of the Nile and taken into the royal family. The second thing we can see in Moses' life is he grew up with privilege. Many of us have grown up with privilege. All of us are the wealthiest people in the world compared to people who live in other countries. If you, I'm trying to remember the stats now. They're not in my, they're not in my sermon. But if, if you make more than $40,000 a year, I think you're in the top 8% of the wealthiest people in the world. Okay? So we have privilege, even in the tough times we do. But Moses had a lot of privilege. He grew up in Pharaoh's house as one of Pharaoh's grandsons. Essentially, and he was, he was raised royalty, and he was raised, you know, in the palace, and he, he got this education that most people were not able to get. You know, Moses learned how to read and write. He learned about philosophy. He learned about rhetoric. He learned about all these things, which, by the way, God used that to help Moses write the first five books of the Old Testament. In the ancient world, there weren't a lot of people who could write stuff. You know, but it's like God knew that Moses was going to write these first five books that we read in our Bible and it was that education that Moses received in Egypt that enabled him to be able to do that, that privilege. It's all about how you use the privilege, guys. The third thing is he was awakened and he acted. As Moses got older, he knew he was an Israelite. You know, but he didn't know the whole story. So Moses goes out when he's a young man and he sees the oppression of his people. And for the first time, maybe, his eyes are opened to the cruelty with which they're treated, the oppression that they're under. And it seems that while he's out looking around, he sees an Egyptian soldier beating an Israelite, slave. And the, and the word in the original Hebrew for beating is actually, in this case, the same word for death. And so the idea we get is that this this soldier was beating this slave to death. And Moses, we're going to see more as his life goes on. He's not a passive guy. And he couldn't just stand by on the sidelines and watch this happen. So Moses himself intervened and got in an altercation with this soldier and ended up killing this Egyptian soldier. Right? I'm not going to find any fault with Moses there. I think that there's, there's a time. We have to look out for people. And I would take a life to protect the life of another person. But this is what he did. And even though he was Pharaoh's grandson, this was still a crime in Egypt. So he became a fugitive. And Moses ended up having to run for his life. He went from his place of privilege to killing this Egyptian and having to run away from Egypt. And he landed in a, in a rural town in Midian, working for a guy named Jethro. And so Moses goes and he works uh, for Jethro, and, and he marries this guy's daughter, and he has a son, and he's just out there tending flocks and taking care and just doing a normal job. The next thing we notice about Moses is that God found Moses and called him out of hiding. God found Moses and called him out of hiding. So roughly 40 years after Moses arrives in Midian, God comes to him. Read with me in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. 
It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bu- though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. What, the Sam Hill? Right, this is what he was thinking. Dif- he used different terms though. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. <laughs> Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You see, God was there. God gave him this sign of this bush that was on fire and not burning to get his attention. And when he came over, God was there to speak with him. And it was holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I get it. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. You know, God sees your suffering too. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and honey buns. The, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I just wonder what was going through his mind. Right? So much of the Bible comes to us through a story, a true story. Put yourself in this story as if you were Moses. Right? Rescued out of a basket. Raised in Pharaoh's household. And now on the run. And you've been hiding for 40 years. And God says, Oh no, Moses, I'm calling you to go back to your family in Egypt to call them out and to set my people free. God used Moses to call Pharaoh out. As we read on in the story, we see that God gifted Moses to perform miraculous signs. And and he went to Pharaoh with these miraculous signs to demand that God's people be set free. But despite God's command and despite these miraculous signs, Pharaoh still refused. You see, Pharaoh thought he was God. So he, he just refused. So God sent nine plagues on the Egyptians. And Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, and when he still did not pay attention to God's command after these nine plagues... God took the life of every firstborn son of every Egyptian household, including Pharaoh's. You see, God's last judgment 
when Pharaoh wouldn't listen all these other times was God reached down and he took the life of every firstborn son of every Egyptian household, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. Guys, when God speaks, we better listen. You know, sometimes we get this idea that Jesus was just a nice guy, wouldn't harm a fly. See, Jesus is good, and God is good. But God judges sin, and God will judge wicked people. But God gave him a lot of chances, didn't he, to see the truth. And after the death of his firstborn son, Pharaoh sent the Israelites away. (laughs) Right? He's like, get out of here. The Egyptian people were like, get out of here. In fact, the Egyptian people, when the Israelites were leaving, gave them all of their most valuable possessions. It's like, hey, pray for your God to have mercy on us. The Bible puts it this way. The Israelites plundered the Egyptians. But later, Pharaoh changed his mind called his army to battle and pursued the Israelites to bring them back. I mean, talk about hard, guys. I mean, confidence is one thing, but stupidity is another. But guys, we can be so hard sometimes. Despite God's warnings, we just have to have it our way, don't we? As dumb as I think Pharaoh was, boy, I think I can relate to him at least a little bit. Pharaoh's like, I'm not going down like that. So as the Israelites were escaping away, he gathered his entire army together to go after them. And you can tell we're building up to the climax of this story, aren't we? It's like watching a movie. Like this is where the intense music starts. Right? This is like in uh, the Bourne Ultimatum, you know, when Jason Bourne at the end... He's, he's in the office of this corrupt CIA director, calls him on the phone. He's like, hey, BT Dubs, I'm in your office and I've got the files, right? <laughs> the music is up. We know the story is changing. And if, by the way, if you haven't seen the Bourne trilogy, you don't know me. <laughs> Favorite movies of all time. So good. So the music changes. The last observation about Moses' life, Moses was not abandoned by God in his moment of greatest need. Moses wasn't abandoned by God in his moment of greatest need. Read with me Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached with all them boys, the Israelite looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You know, sometimes it's easier for us to settle than to receive what God has for us by faith. See, these Israelites that were complaining, and it probably wasn't all of them, it may have just been some of them, but they didn't see the vision. They didn't see, if God brought me this far, he will not abandon me. (laughs) 
Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. You know, even leaders doubt. I love how Moses here, he's, he's got the right words to say, right? But there's some hesitation in Moses too. God's like, would you just quit praying already and just go? You're telling everyone else you believe it. Go. I already told you I'm with you. Just go. So Moses stretches out his hand over the water with his staff and the Red Sea parts, guys. It opens up where there's, the Bible puts it this way, there's a wall of water on this side and a wall of water on this side so they can pass right through the middle. And then God takes a pillar of fire that the Israelites have been following in the wilderness and he takes it from in front of them and he puts it behind them as a barrier between the Israelites and the Egyptians so that the Israelites can go safely across the Red Sea. There's this pillar of fire. I don't care how big your army is, you can't beat that. The Israelites safely crossed. And after... God removed the pillar of fire. He waited till they were safe on the other side. He removed this pillar of fire and the Egyptian army and Pharaoh and all of his arrogance, ignorant, stupid arrogance, led his army into that valley in the water to chase down. I mean, this guy must have really thought he was God to chase after God's people. But when the Israelites were safe on the other side, God closed the water on top of them. And the entire Egyptian army was wiped out in one moment. Guys, who is king? Not Pharaoh. With all that Pharaoh could muster, all of his confidence, all of his army, they were wiped out in a moment. When God decided it was time for them to be wiped out, it was just that easy. The Egyptians, the Israelites saw that day pursuing them. They never did see again. So this is Moses' story. And here are some things I think God wants us to take from that story and apply to our lives. The first one is this. God wants us to wake up. God wants us to wake up. When Moses was old enough to venture out and see his people being oppressed, he couldn't just stand by on the sidelines and watch it happen. He couldn't just stand there and be like, look, I have privilege, I'm going to look the other way. I, I don't want to lose what I have, so I'm not going to look over there. Moses' eyes were opened. He was awakened and he knew he had to do something about it. So who is it that's being oppressed around you? 
Who is it that's suffering around you and me? You know, you heard the announcement after the meeting today. We're, after our services today, we're having a lunch meeting to talk about orphans and children in foster care. And everyone is invited to that. You don't have to be a foster parent. You can just be a support. But that's one way. Who, who is it that's bound up in addiction around you? Who is it that's bound up in poverty around you? Who is it that's spiritually oppressed around you? Who is it that God wants us to be awakened to? Who is going through life without Jesus? Just going through the day to day and they have no idea that Jesus died for them rose again to make them victorious. God wants us to be awakened to his work in the world. He wants us to open our eyes. He wants us to care that people are living and dying without a knowledge of Jesus all around us. That people are locked up in oppression and they don't know that Jesus breaks chains. We're going to put a photo up here, guys. You may have seen on the website, but we are taking a trip to Haiti this summer. BT Dubs, more information coming. Um, many people have already signed up, and you can find it on our, on, our, uh, on our website. But I want to show you a picture of this man, because this is a man who lives in a village that we're going to be working in. We're going to work in an orphanage and a school. And we go out one day into the village, and we just pray for people. Now, the religion of people in Haiti is voodoo. They believe voodoo. Here's, here's what voodoo believes. They believe that God is real, but they believe that the devil is more powerful than God because God is too compassionate. That's what they believe in voodoo. If you come with us to Haiti, you're going to meet the voodoo priestess who lives in that village. In fact, if you look at the graphic, the lady I'm praying for, that's her. She's one of two voodoo priests in the village. There we go to. Every year we pray for her. Her two daughters are Christians, by the way. They come to church, but she does not. But this gentleman struck us so much when we were there two years ago because we sat down and we shared the gospel with him. I mean, look into his eyes. I love, I love how HD this photo is. Can you see his eyes? And he looked at us and he said, I believe what you're saying, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. He didn't even have a reason except that he was being spiritually oppressed. And it's all over there. But do you know that there are people who are spiritually oppressed right here? You and I work around them. We see them at the grocery store. Everywhere there are people who are spiritually oppressed where maybe the devil has started early to keep them away from the message of the gospel. You may be attending four points and you're the one in bondage. Maybe you're bound up in addiction. Maybe you're bound up in a secret sin. Maybe you're bound up in compromises 
guys, please talk to us. We want our eyes to be opened. And I promise you that we won't stand on the sideline of your life and watch you fall. Who is it that's oppressed? Who do we need to have our eyes opened up to? God's eyes are open all the time. He sees you this morning. He wants you to experience the salvation he offers. He wants you to experience the victory he provides right here and right now. I'm not even going to wait to the invitation, guys. Right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone, and today is the day. Don't wait. You don't need someone to tell you when to pray. You can pray right now. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I give you my life. Save me. If you pray that, he will do it. The second thing God wants us to notice from the life of Moses this morning is this. God is calling us out of hiding. Moses was hiding in Midian. He probably had a good job. He was just taking it easy, just living his day to day. But God had a greater calling for his life. And God has a greater calling for your life. We all have to work, right? We all have jobs. We have somewhere where we live. But that's not who we are. We're children of the king. And we've been given a calling to be more, to do more, not in our strength, but in his power. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have a powerful potential. That God wants to do great things through your life. What is it in your past that's causing you to hide? What are you running from? What is it in your past the devil whispers in your ear says, you're disqualified. Don't even try. Don't go to church. Don't tell anyone that. They won't accept you. Those are the whispers of Satan, guys. Jesus has given every person who follows him the right and the opportunity to walk away from their past into a victorious future. It's the gospel. It's why Jesus died and rose again to show us his power and to show us the power that's available for us and in us and through us. There's no place for fear. There's no place for condemnation in the life of a Jesus follower because it doesn't depend on us. It's not our strength. You can have muscles the size of Texas and be a spiritual wiener. It's God's potential in you. It's God's power in you that can and will do greater things in your life and through your life. God only asks you to give your past failures to him, to confess and to receive and to walk in victory. 
Guys, just look at Paul's life. I mean, this guy persecuted Christians, killed Christians, but became one of the most powerful voices for the gospel in the first century. Look at Peter. He was warned that he would deny Jesus three times, and he still did it. But he became the rock on which God built the church. Look at King David. In a season of weakness, has an affair. Kills one of his most loyal men to hide a pregnancy. But God redeems his life and calls him a man after my own heart. If you come to Haiti with us, you're going to meet a guy named Rocky, like Rocky Balboa, but different guy. And we have a picture of him too. Rocky is on the right, okay? My white shirt, white shirt. He's become a very dear friend to me, but let me just briefly tell you something about Rocky's life. Rocky immigrated to the United States when he was a child. As a seven-year-old, he grew up in a rough neighborhood in Florida, Miami. He grew up in a rough neighborhood. Didn't take him long to get recruited into gangs. He killed his first man when he was like 11. Carried a gun since he was 10. I'm not going to go into all of it, but Rocky became one of the most influential Crips in Miami. So much so, he was on the FBI's wanted list. Got me? And he was on his way to kill a rival when the FBI arrested him. And they deported him back to Haiti. So Rocky arrives in Haiti at the end of himself and he finds Jesus. So Rocky starts following Jesus doesn't take long for the Haitian government to be like, you know, I think this guy has a set of skills. <laughs> so they started hiring Rocky to go on raids in places where there were drugs. They began hiring Rocky because of his experience in the United States to help rescue people who were kidnapped. He would go out and hunt people down who were kidnapped. And eventually he made his way to the presidential guard in Haiti. And as time went on, Rocky began to be like, I feel like God has a ministry for me. I'm going to start a ministry to protect teams. And so as teams began to go into Haiti, because Haiti is sometimes pretty volatile, he and his team of guys protect teams. They go with teams, make sure the teams are safe and good, and he's protected a lot of teams. While at the same time doing things like protecting the president and hunting down sex traffickers. And now the United States has given Rocky back the right to come into the United States. That doesn't happen a lot, guys. But even the United States government saw the potential in the change in Rocky's life. You see, God took a broken man and he turned it around. Rocky is not the man he was. But Rocky is doing a powerful work for the kingdom of God in Haiti, if you come with us to Haiti, you'll meet Rocky because he'll be protecting us. He'll be there. Sometimes I ask him to preach, and by the way, he's very good at it. And people listen to him because he's huge. So. so this list of people, Peter, Paul, David, and even Rocky, God wants your name on that list. 
of stories for everyone to see where God took someone despite their past and used them to do incredible things for his kingdom and for his glory. Your name belongs on this list. And the last point is this, God is with us. Listen to Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, guys, when Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected to life and he ascended to the, to the right hand of the Father in heaven, he did not leave us alone. But he sent his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And not only does the Holy Spirit lead us in truth, not only does the Holy Spirit convict us, not only does the Holy Spirit speak to us about what God wants in our lives, the Holy Spirit gives us power. Power. A greater power than any power found in the world, anywhere. I want to read a passage that we read this week in our engaged Bible study, John 14, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Guys, this promise in this power is for everyone. There are no exceptions. If you are a Christian, you are powerful for God's work in the world. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't even matter what you think your potential is. It doesn't even matter what other people think your potential is. You're powerful. And God has called us to walk in power. He's called us to triumph victoriously over all of our circumstances, over all of our trials, over all of our fears, and over the condemnation that's always trying to defeat us. Where in your life do you feel defeated right now? Where in your life do you feel like life just won't let up? Where are you where you feel defeated? Guys, rise up! You have the power to rise up, rise out of it. The work in you is greater than the work around you. What do we have to fear? You are powerful for the kingdom of God. Gosh, guys, I just feel the Holy Spirit on me. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, tell them because it's true. It's true. Someone's fighting against me this morning. In your own mind, you're saying, but not for me. No, it is for you. Receive it. Guys, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Raise your staff over the water in front of you and watch God make a way. Just believe it. 
I know it's hard sometimes. It had to be hard for Moses with that army breathing down his neck. But he obeyed God in faith. And the Red Sea opened up. So what is in front of you today? Raise your staff in faith over it and watch God make a way. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Maybe you're feeling condemned today. Listen, who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And who could separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Receive it. This wasn't written for someone else. It was written for you and for me so that we could walk victoriously through any trial. God is calling his church out of the shadows. Guys, God is calling this church out of the shadows. We are going to be mind blown to see what God will do when people completely surrender in faith to be powerful for his kingdom. As Jenny said, Jesus didn't die to remove the trials and hardships in our life. But God is calling us through Jesus to be victorious over the trials and hardships in our lives. Guys, God is moving. And if God is speaking to you right now, listen. every eye closed just to give some privacy I have two questions this morning one maybe your fear and condemnation has kept you from surrendering your life to Christ 
I made the appeal later. I'm making it right now. Today is the day of salvation. If you would like to surrender your life to Christ this morning, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand right now so that I can pray for you and so that we can pray together. Who is God calling out of the shadows today? To new life. God, I pray that you would save every soul crying out to you, and I know that you will. In Jesus' name. Here's my second question. How many of you would say, Pastor Phil, I'm going through a trial right now that is extremely difficult and I just need someone to pray for me to have the power of the Holy Spirit in the trial that I'm facing. Raise your hand if that's you. I'm gonna pray for you if you're facing that trial. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that every heart that acknowledges and every hand that was raised, that you would baptize in the Holy Spirit with power and with fire, that you would equip God for faith, for victory, to be released from bondage. God, I pray that we would see the waters part and the trials that are facing every person in this room. And I believe it, God. Your word says whatever we pray for, believing we've received it, you'll give it to us. And we believe in Jesus' name for victory. And we praise you in advance. We see the victory coming in Jesus' name.